0: Houston is a hard place to get your head around, but one of the best ways to start is to plant a garden. Gardening here forces you to pay attention to the here and now, to this land, and this weather, and this climate. You find out pretty fast how different Houston is from the rest of the United States, and even from the rest of Texas. To talk about that today, I've got CityCast contributor and gardening fanatic Evan Mintz and Pilar Hernandez, who's a board member of Urban Harvest, the Houston nonprofit dedicated to growing stuff, and also the author of the book, The Chilean Kitchen. It's Thursday, February 17th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Evan, you have been trying to talk about gardening... What, every time I see you for the last, like, three, four years?
1: Uh, I'd say that's pretty accurate. Uh, I love gardening in Houston. Uh, Gardening keeps me sane. Uh, Whether being a new dad or dealing with work or just all the insanity in the world, I think about my tomatoes and I calm down.
0: Oh, you show off. I can't grow tomatoes.
2: Pilar, how long have you been gardening in Houston? 14 years, so... Wow, a long time. I love it. It's, it's rewarding and challenging, so it keeps you engaged, and it really makes you forget about, you know, the other things going in life. Yeah. What What is your garden like, Pilar? So I manage community gardens, so I don't have a garden at home, and that gave me some mm-hmm. ease. Um, but I have a, if you can call managing volunteers for Urban Harvest ease, yeah. that doesn't sound relaxing, no, I, But it is okay. It is fun, and and I have two yeah. very different gardens because I manage a school garden that is all about experimentation and exposing the, the children to many vegetables and all the insects and having fun in the garden, and another one is a donation garden, so that's all about productions. Uh-huh. So.
0: What was your first experience gardening here in Houston, Evan? Had you gardened? You grew up here. I
1: did grow up here. And when I was little, like seven, eight years old, I had a little garden in uh, my family's backyard with some sweet potatoes and some cucumbers. uh, And I tried to grow corn and bugs got to it. Uh, But it was just so exciting to see you put these things in the ground and then you wait and then food came out of it.
0: But after you grew up, you didn't have a yard, right? You were living an inner loop kind of life?
1: Uh, When I moved back to Houston after going to law school, uh, I lived in a townhouse uh, with my then fiance. And on a rooftop deck, I just had all these pots filled with vines and fruits and flowers and anything I could get uh, my hands on. I even grew corn successfully this time because I guess when you're four (laughs) stories up, the bugs can't get to it. In a pot? In, In actually a wooden box. Uh, and it didn't grow that big, but the end result was like this little baby corn, like like you get in Chinese stir fry. <laughs> and it was delicious because instead of being like pickled or canned, it was fresh and it was so sweet and you could even eat the cob. I was hooked. And I kind of realized that whenever you want to grow something, you've got to make sure that you've got recipes for it. Uh, otherwise, you'll just have your fruit dying on the vine.
0: So Pilar, you have actually written a cookbook. Do gardening and cooking go together for you, too?
2: Absolutely. And uh, one big motivation is that we don't have the same vegetables uh, that I grew up in Chile. Did you move here directly from Chile 14 years ago? Yep. I came to Houston. We uh, spent three months in California, and we decided, no, Houston is is better. So we came <laughs> back and have lived here forever. This is very... <laughs> True story, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, so a lot of my explorations have been like figuring out, okay, what is the closest I can get with uh, fruits and veggies I can grow here in, in in the U.S. to the flavors we have in Chile. So Chile is this long, skinny country with a lot of different
0: climates, right? What was it like where you're from?
2: So I'm I'm from the central area in Chile, and that's uh-huh. considered like the Uh, where we grow most of the fruits and veggies. One of the biggest uh, activities in Chile is actually growing fruit and vegetables. So all those apples that I'm eating. Yeah. So like the California of the United States. If you go to California, it's crazy because it smells like Chile. Central Chile. (laughs) So, yes, it's like California.
0: But you came here. (laughs) <laughs> to this humid place that is an inferno in the summer,
2: and you tried to garden. Yes. And how did that go? It was ex- an experience, but actually, <laughs> it, it was not nah. the most difficult part because I started volunteering in a community garden because I needed to learn English, because I could read and write, but I couldn't talk. And the Texan uh-huh. accent is lovely, but not that easy. <laughs> So I went to this garden, and so the veggies was the easy part because I was always so, like, I wanted to talk. They were my, like, my mentors at the time, but it was difficult. Uh-huh. So, but but really, you know, being outside and, and, and being able to see what they were explaining to me, it really helps me uh, to, to learn. And, and then, yeah, <laughs> and now I manage the garden, so it's been a lot of fun to grow into it.
0: Uh-huh. So you're working with a lot of new gardeners, mm-hmm. right, at the school garden? What do you advise beginning gardeners? If someone is thinking
2: about getting into gardening in Houston, what should they think about? What should they do? So if you want to get out uh, and start your garden, really winter and what is the easiest one, because uh, all the leaves and the roots are very easy, carrots, turnips, beets. And kale, cabbage, broccoli, all this grows really well, all in winter. But most people want to do tomatoes.
0: Yeah, like Mm Evan. And I I
2: know, and, and, and they want to do squash and they want to do cucumbers and all these can grow really well in Houston, but it it is more difficult because all these are fruits and they depend on pollinization and we have freezes. So, a lot of our flowers they die during the winter, so or at the moment, if you go outside to your garden, you're not gonna see a lot of pollinators. You're not gonna see a lot of beet, moth, wasps. so can I do anything to attract them? so when you start growing your cucumbers and your squash and your tomatoes, you need to add flowers they need to be they need to be plants that are already flowering in the store. And you plant them hopefully oh. two, three weeks before your vegetables start flowering. Because you want to have these pollinators around. There is other ways of doing it. You can check your tomatoes and they will pollinate itself. Every other day is fine. You can uh, buy cucumber seeds from specific uh, like varieties that are self-pollinated but you need to be aware of that because that's the is the the mistake i see all the time with my volunteers like i have this beautiful winter garden and now i cannot yeah. grow anything like the plants are beautiful but i don't get any tomatoes I don't get. I don't get any squash cucumber and many times it's because of that
0: yeah this was the thing that i could not get my head around Houston seasons when i i grew up in north carolina where you have seasons. You have winter and you don't <laughs> garden. You s- yeah, exactly. And we have we have like summer and we have not summer. Oh,
1: yeah. My sister got me this cookbook called Six Seasons. And the whole premise of it is uh-huh. that you should only eat uh, vegetables and fruits when they're fresh. And I'm flipping through this and I'm coming to the tomatoes chapter. It's like late summer tomatoes. And, and I'm just like shaking my head like, is this in Connecticut? <laughs> like, What is this? <laughs> Now, the recipes are fine, but I have to adjust it for Houston when tomatoes are best, say, in early summer. You know, ideally, uh, were it not for this bad freeze we just had, you'd be putting your tomatoes in the ground in, like, January. And if it gets too cold, you'd cover them with a pot or some other sort of thing. Uh, but you want to get them in as soon as possible so that they can grow before it gets way too hot.
0: Yeah. Did six seasons have an inferno season? <laughs> I mean, that's the the really hard. Oh, yeah. The thing that I'm struggling with is how to grow things in Houston. You know, in July and August.
1: I think that if you if you want a guide, that you've got to get like Bob mm-hmm. Randall's uh, Year Round Food Gardening. Uh, it's just how you grow in Houston, uh, and it really is for those hot, hot summers. It's for those winters that are too cold to be able to grow tropicals. Uh, it's really tough and. You know, you have your things that do well in the heat. You've got your okras, you've got your sweet potatoes. Just think, like, what is southern food? That grows well in the summer.
0: Yeah. But, like, Pilar, aren't there other countries that have climates like ours?
2: Oh, absolutely. So I have in, in the school, we have many Indian families, and they're cheering with us, moringa, turmeric. OK, so what on earth do you do with moringa?
0: I've, like, been handed stuff in the farmer's box that I get. What I do is, like, you can dry it. It's like sticks. No, no, It's sticks and teensy leaves. Okay, but they're, like, you have to, like, shuck the tiny leaves off the branches. How do you do this? The young leaf, you can put them and use it like a spinach, sort of. Like the world's tiniest spinach leaves? I've also seen people dehydrate moringa, the way they dry herbs.
2: Yeah, the biggest one, you can dry them and put them, like, in the... the hydration. like if you have that, it's very good to have. If you're a gardener in, in Houston, uh-huh. because you can dry all your airs, you can dry. It. And also you can dry the roselle. That is a really fun thing that is really easy oh, to grow. okay.
0: So that's the one that's in the hibiscus family. Yes. It has these big flowers like okra. And then you get these little
2: cranberry-like yes. tasting things. If you can grow okra, you can grow... Roselle, and I was telling the kids like we this should be what we use instead of cranberry sauce for Thanksgiving because it grows yeah. so well. It has the same flavor profile, the same color. So I did that in my family celebration, and everyone was like, "Yeah, it works." <laughs> and it's ready around yeah. Thanksgiving, and and so and we did the uh, yeah. hibiscus tea testing with the kids and it was very successful and it's without sugar it's, it's a little acidic uh, it's not bitter yeah. but it's just a little dark. Okay but it's bright Kool-Aid red. Yes. So it looks Easy irresistible. <laughs> 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 yeah but if you look yeah. at Asia really uh, they have a, this uh, in our summer like uh, the hot summer part is very similar to the hot summer in Asia so you can grow a bunch of uh, so the the cucumber and squash family is the melons. There's so many varieties that we can grow, and they're fast and they do well. So okay, yeah, I, it's, it's just getting the recipes there. I think that that's a struggle. that <laughs> like evan was saying that then you don't know what yeah. to do. I yeah.
1: definitely try to identify like what grows well in the tropics in Southeast Asia in the Caribbean, and you can usually grow it well here. Uh, and so I had. A, Great success growing snake beans, which are, like, green beans, but oh, they're, like, two feet long.
0: crazy long ones. And yeah. we
1: had a, a nanny after our second child was born, and she was walking through the garden and pointing. But I was like, oh, we have that in Trinidad, where I'm from. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's great. And she looks at me and goes, like, you're not going to know how to cook this. <laughs> and, and I just kind of laughed. I'm like, well, you know, cook it like French green beans. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. Like, th- that's not how you're supposed to do this. And she had a whole, like, intricate recipe that was incredibly spicy and very delicious. And I don't think I could ever do it myself.
0: So you'll go back to cooking them like green beans.
1: Oh, yes. With, with, (laughs) you know, garlic and herbs de province.
0: Yeah. If each of you could recommend one thing that people should grow in Houston,
2: what would it be? Pilar, what would make people the happiest? I would say tomatoes. (laughs) Uh Grow three at least. So you get one because the squirrels are going <laughs> to take their, their chair, the birds are going to take their chair. But there's so much fun. They're so delicious. Even before they start producing, the smell is one of the best smells on the garden. What kind of tomatoes? So in general, I tell, and, and if you want to eat your tomatoes, just grow a cherry tomatoes. And my favorite variety is Sweet Chelsea because mm. it's, it's like a, like a golf uh, bold size, and it's okay, juicy, so it's sweet big for a cherry tomato, it's uh-huh. resistant to a lot of disease so sweet Chelsea is my favorite and so get two of that and one that you have never grown and, <laughs> and see how it goes <laughs> Alright Evan, what about you?
1: Well I want to add on that I always grow a sun gold tomatoes which are little cherry tomatoes and they grow almost in like these grape-like bunches and you'll see them change color as they ripen you'll have like this rainbow of tomatoes and they're delicious and prolific and so pretty uh, but tomatoes aside uh I'll pivot to fruit trees and say that a Meyer lemon tree uh I recommend for everyone they're they're hardy uh they're prolific they're easy to grow
0: and the Meyer lemons are so good
1: they're tasty
0: they ruined me for other lemons yeah
1: mm-hmm Like I said before, they're harder to get at the store, but you can get a hundred of them from a good tree in the yard. And one of the things I love about gardening is that uh, I work in politics and everything always feels so divisive. Gardening cuts across everything, like everyone gardens.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, thank you both. This was really fun. I want to go garden now.
1: Yeah, me too. (laughs)
0: We'll have useful links about Houston gardening in our show notes and also a link to Pilar's cookbook. Next up, it is time for some news. I am here with producer Farrell Gibbs. Farrell, what's going on in Houston right now?
3: A really cool article in an interview conducted by Andrea Leinfelter of the Houston Chronicle. She called the International Space Station and interviewed astronaut Raja Chari earlier this week on Valentine's Day. Yeah. Station, this is Andrea Leinfeldt of the Houston Chronicle.
1: How do you hear me? Uh, Morning, Andrea. I've got you loud and clear.
3: (laughs) And? It's cool. It's a really cool article, but they get into what this feeling of weightlessness actually feels like. Uh, He said he had to take a period of time to get acclimated to it. And the way he described it, it's a sensation that seems to feel different than what I always imagined it to be. The first thing that happened is his eyes, ears, and other senses had to acclimate to the weightlessness. And there's a period of time where he feels like he's falling. You have to acclimate yourself to that as well. But that's what the International Space Station is actually doing. It's falling, perpetually falling around the Earth, but never hitting it.
0: I'm just going to be thinking about that for a while now. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> well, I'll tell you exactly what it does. The space station moves at a Goldilocks speed yeah. of seventeen thousand five hundred miles an hour, and the uh, the curve of the Earth. It's falling. It matches the Earth's curve, so it's always falling, but it's never hitting Earth. Doesn't that sound awful?
0: Yeah. How long does it take you to get used to that?
3: I looked in the article and I could not find that, but I, I was curious because if it's you know when you when you're on a roller coaster or you're falling. It's it's uh, what is the word terrifying. <laughs>
0: This is why you scream.
3: Right. You know? So if yeah. it lasts, what if that lasts for days? I'm not really sure. But, They're up there for months. Oh, I mean, what if it was? He says you finally get used to it, but maybe this will shed some light on it. She quoted director of the NASA Center for Space Power at a and who explained it like this. It's different than being on a roller coaster. It's more like motionlessness than movement. He said sometimes your instincts will take over and your brain will start telling you, you're falling, catch yourself. But then you have to convince your brain that you're okay and then you're okay. That's like so much of life. I agree.
0: Before we go, I want to give a quick shout out to our listener, Natalie. She called our voicemail after last week's show about using Google Earth to time travel back in Houston history. Natalie uses aerial photos in her work, and she says that if you want to go back even further than Google Earth will take you, back to maybe the 1930s, you should check out Texas State Agencies That Monitored Crops. They took loads of aerial pictures. If you have feedback for us or suggestions for the show or just have something you think that other Houstonians would want to know, send it on! Email us, houston at citycast.fm or call our voicemail, 713-489-6972. We will have that address and number in our show notes. That is all for today see you tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about Mattress Mac. See you then. Is that true, Farrell? Are we doing Mattress Mac tomorrow?